So I'm going to finish up from last week. And uh, we talked about Christ, the cornerstone. And I want to explain a couple things to you where I kind of left you off last week with Humpty Dumpty. First Peter chapter number two, verse six through eight. So therefore, it is also contained in the scripture, behold, that I lay in Zion, a chief cornerstone, elect, precious, and he who believes on him, which is Jesus, will by no means be put to shame or the Greek word is disappointed. Disappointed. Pretty simple to say that we've all been disappointed, even within the contents of the church. But one thing for sure, a relationship with Christ, you will never be disappointed in this life or the life to come. Amen. Therefore, to you, they believe he is precious. But to those that are disobedient, the stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. Now, let's read it. It's a stone of stumbling. It's a rock of offense. They stumble because they're disobedient to the word. And here we go. To which they were also appointed to stumble. Ooh. I wouldn't read this last week because I, I wanted you to come back today. They were appointed to stumble. Ooh. When I get back from Hawaii, we're going to talk about this. One of the great things about Christ being, we talked about last week to us, he's precious to us, that if he is the cornerstone, we talked about what a cornerstone was. But to those that reject him and those that, to us, that he is a, he is a sense of our God and our conscience, but to, for those that are disobedient to his word, he's offensive. And I've been telling you this, that the word of God itself is offensive. I don't have to offend you, but the word of God is offensive within itself. And somebody said, well, it's a good news. And we talked about this last week. Sure, it's good news to those that are honoring God, but it's bad news to those that are disobedient to God. Verse four and five is where we're going to pick up this morning. So coming to him, living stone, rejected indeed by men, but chosen by God and precious. Jesus was chosen by God. Can we agree to that? Amen. Now, verse five. So here we go. You also. Amen. So if he was chosen by God, how many knows Jesus didn't show up and say, hey, I, I got a great idea. If, if I get this right, make me the cornerstone. He was chosen from the foundations of the earth to be the cornerstone. Do we agree with that? Then verse five, so if you believe that, you cannot leave out verse five. We cannot do that. We must not do that. So if he was called and he was chosen and he was appointed, then you also as living stones, you're being built up on a spiritual house, a holy priesthood that's offered spiritual sacrifice of acceptance to God through Jesus Christ. Not only was Jesus himself assigned and appointed to be the cornerstone, then watch this, then you, whether you was aware of it or not, had been called and chosen and appointed before the foundation of the earth to be living stones upon a spiritual house. 
You did not wake up one day and say, hey, I got a great idea. I think I'll give my heart to God. That did not happen. And if you believe that, then that's okay. But you're back in elementary and preschool and kindergarten, 101. If Jesus was appointed by God to be the cornerstone of the building, then you also have been appointed and assigned to be part of this great plan of God's kingdom. And I want to say this to you for those that are already offended. Grace does not make you great. Grace makes us grateful. And I can ask you a question, but what did you have to say being born into this life? And the absolute answer is nothing. It was up to your mother and your father. It was their idea. And for we that understand this principle about the cornerstone is we're going to get into it. But I'll tell you this morning, what a wonderful opportunity that we had to be called by God, appointed by God, chosen by God, the elect of God, to be a part of not only of, 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 of the building of God and the kingdom of God, to be a, but to be a part of what the cornerstone is establishing. So you can correct me, but Jesus said, I will build my church. He didn't say denominations or religion, but he said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Jesus is in the, why would Jesus even say that? And here's the answer. Say this with me, because he's the cornerstone. Wow. So evidently by these two, three verses, God is building something and he is, he's building his kingdom. He's building his, his kingdom, not only in heaven to come, but here upon life now. And one of the things I want you to know, see the word chief cornerstone, we're not going to bore you this morning, we already are, but the word chief cornerstone, the word chief in the Greek, it means, it, it, has, it, has the, it carries the idea, it's the main one, the main one in power and principle. Notice he didn't say Jesus was a cornerstone. Notice he didn't say that. He called him the chief cornerstone. The word the Greek in the chief means one that has the most power, the most it is the main one in principle and power. What he's telling you is that you'll have a lot of people in the church tell you what y'all do. Oh, you'll find cornerstones everywhere you go. Well, if I was you, I would do this. Well, just simply say, you're not me, and I'm going to do what Jesus says. So it's amazing that as we begin to be a part of the living stones of the temple of God, which we are, we are living stones of the temple of God, which we are. But here's the deal. It is the cornerstone that gives us directions and it's the cornerstone that gives us instructions. The cornerstone is this huge rock we talked about last week. It's, it's, it's massive, but it's the, most, it's the largest, it's the most level, and it's the most flattest. And it's the first thing that is set. And when you set the cornerstone, then we plumb and we align everything to that. Everything to that. So what happens is we, we went through a lot of process last week about about if, 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 if Christ is not the cornerstone of this church, then this church is crooked. Because Philippians tells us we need to be straight in the crooked world, we need to be light in the dark world, and we need to be hopeful in the hopeless world. So the idea that somehow, if, if we're, if we're going to be a part of God's kingdom, we have to be plumb and we have to be straight and we have to be level. 
And the only way that happens if Christ is the cornerstone of my life and the cornerstone of this church. And if we have issues and we're not for sure, then what we do need to do is turn Sister Winfrey off and Brother Phil off and find out what Jesus had to say about a situation. You'll always have cornerstones. But Jesus is, is, is above all other advisors in the church, including me. And if what I tell you does not line up with scripture, then quit listening to me, which some of you already have. Thank you. <laughs> it's funny through the years, somebody said, oh yeah, well my, my grandmother, my, I was raised, I, I appreciate that. I appreciate that, that they were wrong. Of all the nerve, well, they were wrong. Curtis Keener told years ago, said that it was a story about a woman that served the best ham on Christmas, always in a small pan and always had the, the end piece cut off. And she told her family and kids that you cut that end piece off, the ham tastes better. So that's just the way it was for years after years after years and a tradition. And then she cooked it for 30 years and her daughter cooked it that way for 30 years and it was perfect. So one day she said, what was the real story about cutting the end of this ham off? She said, it didn't make it taste better. It would just fit in the pan. <laughs> Tradition. So here's the deal. There's nothing wrong with the ham to begin with. It was the size of the dish. If he is the chief cornerstone, which he is, then, then he is set. And we must plumb our life and level our life according to what he has to say. And if not, we're going to grow crooked. We're going to get off course. We're not going to be plumb. Turn to somebody and say, I don't know if you're plumb or not. I don't care. <laughs> Matthew chapter 7, 24, 25. So I'm not really a carpenter, but I own a hammer and nail. Someone talk about carpentry for a little bit, building. Jesus is giving the life lessons upon building your life upon two foundations. We know this. Matthew chapter 7 says, therefore... Whosoever hears these sayings of mine and doeth them, that I will liken him to a wise man which builds his house upon a rock. He descended, the floods came, and the winds blew and beat upon the house, and it did not fail because it was founded upon the rock. All right? So we need to build our lives upon the rock. Let me show you the same parable by a different writer. Luke chapter number 6, verse 47 and 48. Whosoever comes to me and hears my sayings and does them, He's, he's giving you an idea that he is the cornerstone and does them. I will show you to whom he is like. He's like a man building a big on the house who dug deep and laid the foundations on the rock. And when the flood arose, the, the stream beat vehemently against the house and it could not shake it for it was founded upon the rock. Notice the addition in the wording of this parable. When you're talking about building a house side by side, Building a house side by side, and one of them you build it upon the rock, and the other one you build upon the sand, the sand. Both rains, both storms, and both winds. One stands and one collapses. What's the difference? One's built upon the rock. Well, anybody knows that. But Luke tells you how it's done. You have to dig down. These houses are not on opposite ends of the town. These houses are side by side. Same topsoil. Somebody said, you don't know what I'm going through. Yes, I do. You don't know the brother-in-law I have. Yes, I do. 
You don't know my neighbors. Yes, I do. You don't know what it's like to struggle. I'll hit you right on top of the head. Yes, I do. We all have the same topsoil. We all have to pay taxes. We all have enemies. We all have people that comes against us. We all deal with people that are offended at the gospel against us. We all are on the same topsoil. The difference is one guy dug down. This is very important. I'll show you here in a minute. He dug down. And so what he did was he, he got past all the sand. And so here's my, here's my thinking is that when you stick a shovel in the sand, that any time the dirt will move, it's got to go. I'll be friends with you. I'll like you. I'll even wave at you. But I'm going to tell you right now, if you move and shift, you got to go. Because I cannot build my spiritual life on things that move and shift. Wishy-washy. The book of Revelations. All those things. I'm not against it, but I'm not going to build this church on, on the unknown prophetic Prophecies of something that we have no control over. People are building churches on and what ifs. And there's nothing wrong with revelations, but I refuse to build a church on the unknowns and the uncertainties. I'd rather deal with the facts of how we need to love God and love one another. And that's what we're going to do. So what we have to do is that in your friendship and your family dealings or even a church, if you stick a shovel in and it moves, you can't build your spiritual man on that. And you ask them questions like, well, what about this? And if they don't know, you'd be best just to stick a shovel in and scoop them over your shoulder because you need to get somewhere where you hit bedrock. So here's the deal. The deal was two houses side by side both covered in, in sand, and one guy said, I can build a house quickly, but I'm afraid that the storms come, it won't last, and it won't. But I think what I'll do is I'll dig down. I'll dig down, and I'll get down there where there's some solid footing. Now, today, here in Ardmore especially, if you'll drive around, there's some new businesses going on. And if you ever notice, it's a business and they'll dig 10 or 12 feet down below the surface. You, you'll think they're putting in a bank vault or you're thinking they're putting in a, an oil changing business and they're not. The city now requires that if, if you're going to build a building, a commercial building, that they do a compaction of the soil. And a compaction of the soil says they'll, they'll dig so far down and if that soil is not tight and hard, it's got to come out. So these, these buildings up here on 12th Street, it was funny. I watched them. I watched them building. I like to watch things build. I, I'll just park somewhere and we'll eat ice cream and watch it go up. I love it. It's, it's, it's a good date for me and Gayla. Not too much fun with her, but I like it. And I mean, I mean, they'll dig it out. 10, 12 feet. They'll dig it out. What do they do with it? I'm not for sure, but they won't keep it. Why? Because it's not solid. So they'll dig it out. Big. And what they'll do, they'll bring dirt in. You'll think, well, that's a waste of time, energy, and money. It's not. Because they figured out, they figured out that that soil has got to be compacted. It's got to be the right footing for the build a building on top of it. So what happens is this. When he gives you the idea of this picture that you can build a house on sands of religion, and religion always changes. Religion always has variables. They make up stuff as they go. Or you can take the time to dig down and get past that. 
See, you know what I do here? I provide for you a shovel and I encourage you, don't settle for religion. If you do, whatever you build won't last long. Oh, you may do it quick, but it won't last long. Dig down past that. Get on past the Assemblies of God. Get on past the Baptist. Get on past the Methodist. Get on down in there. Dig a while. Dig. Find out what the Word says. Dig down there. And I'll tell you that 90% of the people in church, they are lazy and they don't want to dig. We love to dig here. I love to hand out shovels. And then all of a sudden you're digging a while and you go, well, I don't understand this. I understand. Just keep digging. Will I find gold? No, you won't. Just keep digging. You may hit a sewer pipe every once in a while. Just keep digging. Keep going. And then all of a sudden you hear this. The question is this. Let me ask you a question because you're all smart and intelligent. When you, when you go in your backyard and you see topsoil, and we know that there's shale or stone underneath the topsoil somewhere. Which came first? The stone. The stone came first. The shale came first. The layers of rock was first. Then, then the dirt was placed on top of that. Are we in agreement? So if Christ was the cornerstone, which he was, and he is, the chief cornerstone, did God just set him up on top of planet Earth and say there? Don't answer that. You deserve an answer. I never want you to leave here with question marks. So when he came as the cornerstone, and if he was the one that gave us the building code of a man dug down until he hit rock, would Jesus not follow the same architectural instructions that he gave for us? Yes. So Joe Gim brought it up. So if rock was here, before the topsoil was, and the topsoil is religions is what you can see. But he said, I'm wanting you to dig past people's religion. I want you to get down there where it's bedrock. I want you to know what the rock of Christ really is all about. And, and upon that, then you can dig a, you can build a house. Well, what came before Christ? Did, did the cornerstone was just set on top of the ground? Because if it's set on top of the ground, it's still subject to move, even though that it was the most largest piece of rock in the temple. So the idea was, if it was the cornerstone, did they just wheel in some huge rock, eight foot by eight foot or 10 foot square? Did they just say, and sit on the ground and say, There. But if they set that there, how many knows if you set that there, even the weight of that would sink into the sand? Are you with me? So if he is the cornerstone, which he is the cornerstone, and if he's the most immovable object, then why would he be immovable if you set him on top of the ground? Because just because he's big, 
The sand in the earth would still give way to the weight of it. So that's not what happened. He had to follow the same instructions he gave us in Matthew and in Luke. The man dug down until it hit stone as hell. What came before Christ's support? What came before Christ, before he came to planet earth to support his divine claims as the chief cornerstone? What came before him? Did anything come before him? And the answer is yes. It was all of the Old Testament prophets that prophesied of him to come. Now, stay with me. Don't go to sleep. Which came, which came first, the shale or the soil? The rock. What came before Jesus to support or substantiate his claims of divinity? Did God just set him on planet earth and say, here, believe it or you're going to go to hell? No. We have record about 351 Old Testament prophecies declaring about not only who Jesus was, what lineage he would come from, even a time frame we have 351 prophecies of the prophets that prophesied long before Christ had planted earth. What were they were doing? They were the bedrock, the foundation, the footing that the cornerstone would be set on. Now think about this. What supported the cornerstone? And if you tell me that they just sat on top of the ground, what happens? God, before Jesus, the cornerstone ever came, he dug down and he laid a footing. He laid a foundation of shale and rock of promises, prophetic utterances. And those men that prophesied of the coming of the Messiah, they were the shale and the bedrock that was prophesied for thousands of years. And when Christ come, God set the cornerstone on the foundation of everything that the prophets had prophesied. Amazing. And that's why in John chapter 10, he said, I'm the door. I'm the legal entrance way. Everything. And matter of fact, it says this in Hebrews chapter 7. Excuse me, Hebrews chapter 10, verse 7. And then I said, behold, that I have come in the volume of the book. It is written of me that I've come to do your will. Jesus said, everything that is written in the Old Testament, it speaks of me. Whether it be the would it be the, the, the animal skins of the Garden of Eden to, to atone for Adam and Eve's sin? Whether it be in the sanctuary, whether it be in the tabernacle, everything in the Old Testament speaks of Jesus. Amen. And when he came to planet Earth, he, God just didn't set him on religious sands. God had already built a footing and a foundation to the prophets of old and for thousands of years that men and women prophesied of him to come in the lineage of the Davidic of David and all these things. And when he came to planet earth as the chief cornerstone, God set him upon the footing and the foundation of what the prophet said. Amen. 
And that's why he's solid. And that's why it's unmovable because every prophecy that was prophesied about the coming of the Messiah was found in Jesus. Wow. So here's a reference that are made to support. When you understand that God just did not drop his son out of heaven on planet earth and said, good luck. God, if anybody, most of you men know this, but you don't build a house without a concrete footing. You can build a house without a concrete footing, but you know what will happen. God just did not send his son to earth. And the next day he said, y'all better believe him or you're all going to go to hell. That's not what happened here. For 1,500 years by men that were moved by the Holy Spirit, they prophesied of one to come. And not only prophesied, they gave us pictures and, and acrostics, whether it be the tabernacle or the sacrificial lamb. So in Genesis, that he's seen as the seed of the woman. In Exodus, he's the Passover lamb. In Leviticus, he's our high priest. In Deuteronomy, He's the great prophet. And Joshua, he's the captain of our salvation. In Judges, he's the lawgiver. In Ruth, Mordecai, our redeemer. First and second Samuel, he's the mighty prophet. First and second Kings, he's our reigning king that has no end. In Chronicles, He's referred to as the glorious temple of Solomon. In Ezra, he's the faithful scribe. Nehemiah calls Jesus the rebuilder of the walls. Esther sees him as Mordecai, the one who provides. In the book of Job, he's referred to as the day spring from on high. In Psalms, he's the Lord our shepherd. Proverbs and Ecclesiastes, he's known as the wisdom of God. The Song of Solomon, he's referred to as the only one who loves me. And Isaiah, we know him in, as the suffering servant in Jeremiah Lamentations, he's the weeping prophet. Ezekiel saw him as the wheel inside of the wheel. The book of Daniel, he's a king that will come in the clouds. And Hosea, man, he's that loving husband. In the book of Joel, he's the baptizer in the Holy Spirit. Now, here's some pages of your Bibles that the pages are probably still tucked together. In Amos, he's the burden bearer. In Obadiah, he's our mighty savior. Jonah, He's a forgiving father. Micah, he's the messenger with beautiful feet. Nahum, he's God's elect, the avenger. Habakkuk, he's the great evangelist. Zephaniah, 
He's the restorer of the remnant of Israel. Haggai, he's known as the cleansing fountain. And Zechariah, he's the pure son. And Malachi, he's the son of righteousness with healing in his wings. Every book of the Old Testament is layered upon one another to substantiate everything that Christ will become as cornerstone. Every prophet that prophesied were nothing more or nothing less than shells and rocks and a layer of a footing that Christ, our cornerstone, could rest upon way beneath religion that would support him and substantiate that he is an immovable foundation. And Matthew is the Messiah. And Mark, he's the miracle worker. And Luke, he's the son of man. And John, he's the son of the living God. In Acts, he's the Holy Ghost and fire. And in Romans, he's our justifier. In Corinthians, he's our sanctifier. Galatians, he's our redeemer from the curse of the law. Ephesians, he's the Christ of the unsearchable riches. In Philippians, he's the God that's going to supply all of our needs. Colossians, he's the fullness of the Godhead. Thessalonians, he's our soon coming king. Timothy, he is the only mediator between God and man. Philemon, he's that friend that's taken closer than any brother. The book of Hebrews, he's the one who's better. James, he's the great physician. First and second Peter, he's our chief shepherd that shall appear. First, second, third John, he's referred to as divine love. Jude, he's the Lord coming with 10,000 of his saints. And Revelations, he is King of kings and Lord of lords. When I tell you this morning that Jesus is the cornerstone, I'm telling you that he set in a place that we must level and plumb our whole life, everything aligned to he and his word. And that's what the kingdom of heaven is. It's not your thinking. It's not your thought process. It's not your religion. It's according to what the scripture says, because these scriptures have been servants to him long before he appeared as planet earth. They served their purpose and they were stacked upon the ground in layer upon layer upon layer upon layer upon layer after promise, after promise, after promise, after promise, after promise, after promise. And when Malachi gave the last one that the son of righteousness will come with healing in his wings, then 400 years later, here come the cornerstone. And God gently set him upon the footing of the foundations of everything that was spoken by the prophets. And the good news is, Hebrew says, he is an immovable and he is an unshakable foundation. This morning, the good news and the bad news, our government will move. Our politicians will be shaken. Our world can collapse and probably will before long. The economy and the monetary system of our country will probably not last too much longer, but I'm here to tell you some good news. Jesus Christ is an immovable foundation. And if this world collapses, he will not. If this world shakes, he will not. And if this world falls like a bad lawn chair, he will not as the cornerstone because he rests upon the footing of what was spoken about him for thousands of years. 
And if that's true, ladies and gentlemen, can we not trust them for another 50? Yes. Father, this morning, every one of us that we're dealing with probably problems in our family, children, grandchildren, we all struggle with, with family feuds. We all struggle with what's going on in our government and our society. A blind man can see that what is going on, that, that what we used to call good is now evil and what we used to know as evil is now good. The winds of politics seem to change the minds of, of the hearts of men and women, but there's one thing that we know for sure. Christ, our chief cornerstone, cannot be moved. And give us the wisdom to align our life to him. Father, we don't want to be as it was recorded in the scripture that it was appointed that we would stumble at his word. I do not want to be included into that scripture where it says, and they were appointed to be offended at his word. I want to align my heart to your word and your son Christ. And in the construction of any building, I pray that if we've ever got off the mark, if we ever got off the line, we repent this morning. Bring us back into the plumb line of Christ. That we want to be right and we want to get our mind right and we want this church to be right. And the way that we do this is that we surrender and submit and attach our lives to the chief cornerstone of Christ. So whatever that these folks and myself, that whatever we're going through today, Father, we know one thing, that the winds of doctrines will shake and move all topsoils of sands of religion, but it cannot penetrate or move the Petra upon this rock. I will build my church, your son, Jesus. So in times that we want to panic, we will not panic. Sometimes we want to give up. We will not give up. In times that we want to throw in the towel, we will not throw in the towel. That we will go back to the cornerstone and we will hear him again and we'll read of him again and we will receive the word of God again until we get it right. That you are with us and not against us. That you will never leave us or abandon us. That not only you were appointed and chosen by God, but we also as living stones, we've been chosen and appointed to be a part of this divine kingdom. That's why we're quick to repent when we sin. That's why we're quick to apologize when we, when we do wrong is because we're part of your kingdom. So let that be found in every man and woman in this place this morning with a repentant heart that we long to please you. Father, this morning, as a church body, we lift up Bill to you today. We pray for him. Right now that he has 
He has been in the balance of life and death, but you've had him. You've always had him. And you've given him a second chance to live with a new heart and a new kidney. And for that, we're so thankful. Give him long life. His poor little body has been wore down for so long that he's done the very best he can. But we're so thankful that someone gave the ultimate gift that Bill could live. And not only that someone, but your son Jesus gave the ultimate gift that we could live as well. So we find comfort in that, in Jesus' name. And all the people of God say amen. Stand with me this morning. Give the Lord a praise offering if you would please. Huh? The Lord is good today. And always remember, ushers, if you'll please come. He's our chief cornerstone. Listen to him. Do what he says. If you don't know for sure, I've always said it, just get you a red letter King James Bible and do everything that's written in red. You can't go wrong. He won't mind me saying this because I said it last week, but John Jones come down, we was talking about something. And I told him, I said, John, you're not the same man you were five years ago when you walked in this door, son. You're not the same man. You're not the same people you were five years ago. Philip and Rachel, you're not the same people you were a few years ago. Ron and Donna, you're not the same people you were 25 years ago when you came here. You're not the same people you were. Something's happening to you. Something's growing. Something is expanding. It's the Word of God getting into you and you into it. You're stronger than you used to be. You're more stable than you used to be. You're more confident than you used to be because we're learning to dig down until we hit footing. And we build our life not on the emotions of shifting sands of people's emotions. We're building our life upon the foundations and the principle of the Word of God that cannot be moved. You're not the same. Virgil and Gina, you're not the same. Brad Clifton, you're not the same, man. You're digging down. You're getting past people. You're getting past theology. You're digging past religion. And you're hitting rock. And that rock is Christ our Savior. And when you hit rock, start building. Take your wife by the hand and say, I used to think this, but that was wrong. We're going to start doing it Christ's way. Get your children and gather them up and say, this is the way that we're going to build our house upon the rock of Christ. Build your job and your finances. Build everything upon the principles of the Word of God and it will not be shaken. Amen. So Father, bless these people 
as we truly submit to you and your word. That night he sat with his disciples and boy, you talk about, you, you talk about sands of emotions. These guys were, they're hiding. They were basically hiding from the crowds and the mobs and being overwhelmed with thoughts and ideas. And, and Jesus took two sacraments and he said, this bread represents my body that will be broken for you. Your broken dreams, your broken lives, your broken hearts, your broken homes, your broken marriages, your brokenness. Christ became broken that we became whole. Remember, he said, I'll leave you in peace, not in pieces. And then he took the cup and he said, this cup is symbolic of the, the lamb's blood that was shed in the first Passover. The blood was taken in the shape of a cross upon the doorpost and the Abaddon, the death angel would pass over that home whose blood was upon the doorpost in the shape of a cross. And he said, my father will soon take my blood, the lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world in the shape of a cross. And as often as you take the bread and you take the cup, it will remind you of me. Calvary Christian Fellowship this morning, if we've ever need to be reminded of Christ, it's right now. Our chief cornerstone. We are lively stones attached to him. And let us be straight and true that the world will know that, that God lives in us. Father, bless this cup and bless this bread. And all that find it will find you in their daily lives in Christ's name. God said amen.